0: This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views
1: and debate from England's second tier.
0: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast, sponsored by Cards Accepted.
1: I'm Ali Jackson and of course I'm joined as always by George Smith. George, how are you? I'm not too bad, mate. Not too bad, just... Just finished work for the day, writing about Manchester United in the Premier League, so I'm looking forward to getting my teeth stuck into my favourite division and yours, which your is true of course it, my true passion in life, it absolutely is, which is the championship, the, the holy grail, if you like. So looking forward to spending the next hour or so in your company, reviewing the weekend's actually, with no doubt plenty of talking points and analysis to come And what was a pretty pretty interesting weekend, I thought, some interesting results in there.
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. I've got my batteries recharged, been away at a little spa uh, with my wife for her birthday, a little spa trip overnight away from the little one as well. So I'm recharged and energised, hence why the podcast is coming slightly later to you this week, but plenty of time to get all the analysis in before the midweek run. We've got obviously a full slate coming Tuesday and Wednesday night as well. International breaks are done with. We're going thick and fast into the games now between now and March and you will not miss a beat on the Championship Chat Podcast. So let's get cracking. We'll bring you all the reaction to the biggest talking points as West Brom surprise Ipswich Town, Leicester get back to winning ways and Wayne Rooney gets his first win as Birmingham City boss. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. George, I think we should start at the Hawthorns, which for me was the surprise and maybe statement win of the weekend, which was for obviously for West Brom and Chalbion in the late kickoff on Saturday. Completely threw me surprised, by the way, when I was sat in the press box at Stoke in the press room, should I say, doing post-match. No idea there was a late kickoff on Saturday. I feel like we've not seen one of those for a while in the Championship. Anyway, West Brom, once they get their noses in front, are probably one of the hardest teams in the Championship to get back at. Because, especially at home, they're so good once they're, they're ahead. They're really organised. They're great in their shape. And, obviously, getting their nose in front after five minutes through uh, Darnell Furlong was a great start against Ipswich. But, looking at some of the numbers, West Brom have not dropped any points at home when they score first since April, and that was a 2-1 defeat to Sunderland right at the end of the season, which pretty much ruled West Brom out of the playoff race. So we know how good they are defensively, particularly at the Hawthorns. Once they get the nose in front, corbrand has got them really well drilled. They're quite happy to be passive and sit in shape, not desperate to go and press and run around. But I thought they were really good value for this. And then obviously they went and added the second one, which sealed the result. Grady Dean Garner, who... Has been very quietly playing himself back into some form in the last month or so. A player that was obviously so good at Championship level. When was it like twenty nine twenty perhaps? Uh, playing Something on that, like that. for West Brom. West Brom went and bought him for twenty million pounds when they got promoted to the Premier League. That looked like a really good bit of business, to be quite honest. I remember there being quite a bit of uproar from the West Ham fans that they'd sanctioned that deal, and. It never worked for him in the Premier League. And then since they've dropped back down to the Championship, he's not found that form. He's had bad injuries at times. He's played on the right. He's not really played on the left, which is where he did so well first spell. But he's slowly and surely been getting more game time in the last sort of month. And he has got that X factor that not a lot of the players... You know, you think of West West, uh, West Brom's most creative players, you've got Jed Wallace, not blessed with pace. He's not slow, but he's not rapid. John Swift, more of a creator... Um, they, they've got someone in Diangana who's a little bit of a, a joker in the pack, someone that can go round players who's got that electric burst and playing sort of off the front, he's got a bit more freedom to go right, to go left. It was quite a fluid front three of uh, Jed Wallace, Diangana in the middle and then Matt Phillips on the left, but all capable of rotating in different positions, particularly Wallace and Diangana swapping around, spearheaded by Brandon Thomas-Atante. And as I say, having him in form and having him contribute and it's something West Brom haven't had for a couple of seasons. But He could elevate this team from a good team to a potentially devastating team because if they've got that sort of quality in the final third and then you throw in the defensive solidity uh, once they get their nose in front, clearly they can be a match for anyone. And This was a, a very good Ipswich Town team that we shouldn't forget had only lost one game all season prior to going into the weekend. So for West Brom to beat them away from home, obviously the first team to beat Ipswich as well um, at home, that's a, a pretty remarkable result for, for West Brom. So I feel like this was a statement victory for them to just say like, we're not we're not in the top six by luck because we picked up a few points against lower ranked teams. We can go and beat one of the big boys as well.
1: Absolutely. There's no doubt about that. And as people will have seen, if they they follow our Twitter page and certainly take any notice of it, they may not. But um, I had West Brom as my shock at the weekend to beat it, which it was a result that I really, really fancied. And I saw it coming a mile off because this home record that West Brom have have developed under Carlos Corbaran, it is quite impressive, to be honest. And we've put a tweet out on the podcast on the Twitter page today Looking at that record that Carlos Corbran has in the Championship since he took over at West Brom. 16 wins from 24, losing just three games. 53 points from 72 available. 15 clean sheets as well. And I think when you look at some of those defeats, the three defeats he's had in there, one of them was suffered literally days after he took the job against Sheffield United. One that you mentioned earlier on, the Sunderland game and the loss. And then Huddersfield earlier this season. So there's been a few little narratives and a few little stories in there, obviously with Huddersfield being Corbrand's former club. But overall, this, well, this home record that West Brom have developed is is quite impressive. And like you said there, they've slowly started to integrate Diangana back into the team. And it's just given them that little bit more thrust and that little bit more energy because when you look at West Brom's team, it's, it's arguably one of the most experienced teams in the division. There's a lot of older heads in there. You think of Kyle Bartley... Jed Wallace, Matt Phillips, those sort of guys. But when you've got someone like Dean Garner, that little bit younger and that little bit more youthful and more energized, it just creates a really nice blend. And Dean Garner's certainly resurrected his career a little bit in the last few weeks. He's got three goals, two assists in his last five games. It's a really healthy return. And he looks like a player rejuvenated by Carlos Corbran. And like you said, the Premier League move, it it almost stalled his career in a way. It never quite worked out at that level and he's obviously had to bide his time. He's come back into Carlos Corbran's plans now and in the last few weeks, he's taken on this role of either out wide or through the middle and he seems to be flourishing. So that's really good going for him and for West Brom to get him up to speed again. But looking at the result in isolation, I didn't see the game in full. I saw little bits of it. I I was in and out on Saturday, a really busy day, doing lots of different things, sorting things out. But I thought... The bits I did see, West Brom, they looked in control of the game. Ipswich, a team that obviously have been blowing everybody away in the goals department. They concede a lot, certainly at home, but they also score a lot. They didn't really have a sniff in this game from what I saw. They were really lackluster and really flat. And having looked at the the comments from Ipswich fans and Ipswich journalists who cover their games, they said that it it was a it was a deserved result for West Brom. It was no fluke, it was what they fully merited. Ipswich never really looked like scoring. So I think for West Brom, it's a result that they can take huge amounts of comfort from. It's four wins in five now. It's just one defeat, I think, in their last six. So it's it's really encouraging signs for them. And I think you've now got to consider them as genuine contenders of the playoffs. Because when you consider who they've played so far this season, the bulk of their wins have come against the lesser teams, if you like.
0: That's why this one feels like a bit of a statement, doesn't it? It does. This is the first one where they've sort of shown their claws against one of the better teams in the division. It does. It certainly
1: does. At the same time, though, you look at a couple of their results and you take into account, of course, that certain teams weren't in the position they are now when they played them. Obviously, they did stick four past Middlesbrough towards the beginning of the season. Borough, of course, though, were not at the same level as they are now. They won 4-0 away at Preston, who obviously only a position behind them at the moment. Um, they, they were edged out narrowly by Southampton only just before the international break. They got a point away at Leeds as well, let's not forget. So they've played two of the current top three and they've taken four points out of six, which is quite impressive. So I think it's a point now where you look at this West Brom team and say, look, you have got to appreciate the job that Carlos Corbran has done, bearing in mind all what's gone off in the background with the, the ownership situation, and the fine, lack of finances he had in the summer. He's done a really, really good job, Carlos Corbran, and I think his record at west brom has gone somewhat under the radar a little bit and probably hasn't got enough as much credit as it deserves certainly that home record it's it's really really impressive
0: well if so, if, if we generally think that you're looking for two points per game for an automatic promotion side they've done that at home it's just yeah, obviously not That it away that's the away form isn't time.
1: it but that's the thing they've only lost just looking at the numbers now they've only lost three away games so far this season so it's not the worst return in the world if you and, and and looking at there's a few draws in there. But overall, West Brom are a team that are reasonably consistent, certainly at home with the wins. So it's just a case if they can put a couple of wins together on the road, then I certainly think they've got the credentials to be in the conversation this season because they are one of the better teams in this league. So I think they're going to take huge amounts of confidence from that win on, uh, on Saturday against Dipswich. They've got a big week this week. They've got Cardiff. As we record this, tomorrow evening, Tuesday night, Cardiff away. Not be an easy one. Cardiff's home record, also impressive so far this season. And then a a monster-looking clash at home to Leicester on Saturday lunchtime, which will really put that home record to the test. So, a big week for West Brom, you feel. And you look at their December, their next run of games between now, they've got six games between now and Christmas. They've got a mixed bag in there, playing the likes of uh, of Stoke City and Rotherham are towards the bottom end of the table, then they've got the likes of Leicester, Middlesbrough, Sunderland. So they've got a mixed bag. So it'd be interesting to see what position they're in at Christmas, but with only two home games out of their next six, this could be where the big test is for us. From they've got to find a way just to improve that away record a little bit. But looking at their home form and the result on Saturday, a hell of a lot to build on. But for Ipswich, you know, disappointing day at the office, but it was one defeat in thirteen for a newly promoted team. You you can't criticise that. It it happens. It was bound to come to an end at some point. They'll be able to get back on track as soon as possible. It is one winning four for
0: Ipswich though and they've conceded two goals in each of those four games and ultimately I do worry that that against goals against column will undermine them as the season progresses. Still got a seven point gap on Leeds United who of course dropped points as well at the weekend as we'll come on to later in the podcast. Leicester City got back to winning ways though, George. They beat Watford 2-0 at the King Power. Um, and had a really good chance at nil-nil in this game, but couldn't convert. And Watford dug in. They, they frustrated Leicester. And I, I do think, I spoke a little bit about it last week, but or the, a couple of weeks ago before the international break, Watford have probably, their underlying numbers suggest they're, they're probably a better team than their league position and the points tally suggests. They can be quite an awkward customer, I think, for some of the bigger teams, particularly away from home. They don't give away loads of big chances. And they did sit in and frustrate Leicester for large portions. Um, and it wasn't until the 76th minute that they eventually broke that result through Jamie Vardy, then got the second from the penalty spot, which saw one of the more amusing points of the weekend where Daniel Backman gets sent off as a second yellow. We see Ryan Porteous going goal and get nowhere near the penalty, <laughs> which is absolutely fine. No matter what the scoreline or what the context or situation, there's few things that are more amusing than an outfield player going in goal, is there?
1: It's not really. And I'll be honest with you, the the amount of sheer power that Jamie Vardy put on that penalty, I don't think any goalkeeper would have even got to that. So I don't think we could be too critical of uh, Ryan Portis for not keeping that one out, can we?
0: No, I don't think so. But yeah, important this for Leicester, because obviously they'd lost two games before the international break back to back. Not exactly a, a crisis, but not <laughs> scored in each of them either. And with a few injuries creeping in, they looked a little bit more settled. Ricardo back at right-back, Hamza Chowdhury in the holding midfield role um, with Ndidi back in front of him. He's missed a few games. And again, we said at the start of the season that Ndidi probably didn't quite suit that right centre role, but they've actually really missed him in the in the time that he's been out with the team in the last few weeks. It's quite disrupted the team, I feel, as much as uh, an absence can do for this Leicester side. So really important for them to get back to winning ways in which they uh, they did so relatively comfortably.
1: Yeah, and I think it was a result, with no disrespect to Watford, that I was I was quite confident that Leicester would secure back at home, having had two weeks to recharge the batteries after a couple of disappointing little setbacks at home to Leeds and then away at Middlesbrough. Uh, and this was a game that you always expected, really, that Leicester would win. But they did leave it relatively late. Vardy scoring the opener after 76 minutes, then obviously pounced on Backman's error for, for the penalty deep into injury time. But it got the job done. It was another three points. It was another clean sheet. And it just just gets just steadies the ship a little bit, doesn't it? After it was slightly rocked prior to the international break, and obviously Leicester now they've they've passed the the forty point mark already within seventeen games, fourteen wins out of seventeen It is absolutely ridiculous numbers, isn't it? To be fair, but I think for Enzo Maresca he'll just be relieved that you know, like you said, not quite a crisis, but just a little bump in the road has not developed too far ahead, and they've just managed to steady the ship, as I said, and, and got back on track. So. This felt like a pretty routine one. Watford had their moments. I think it's fair to say they did. If they took their chances, the game could have mapped out differently. But I don't think Valerian Ismail can be overly critical of his players because, like we've said, haven't we, several times so far this season? Not many teams are going to go to the King Power Stadium and, and get a win this season. So, or even a draw. To be fair, obviously, only Leeds and Hull have taken anything from the KP so far. So, I think Enzo Moresco, It's just a case of back on the bike. Another step closer to the to the aim, nothing too fancy, just a routine, steady victory. Uh, and they'll be looking to build on that this week with uh, trips to Sheffield Wednesday in the midweek and then West Bromwich Albion at the weekend, which uh, certainly won't be an easy one with the Baggies home record, as I mentioned a few minutes ago. So I think for Leicester, it's just a case of continuing to plug away in pursuit of the ultimate goal, which is the title, of course, and just open up a little, tiny little cushion on, on Ipswich in second and still 10 points ahead of Leeds.
0: Absolutely. Probably the game of the weekend, George, came at Ashton Gate, a five-goal thriller between Bristol City and Middlesbrough. Liam Manning's first win as Robin's boss, of course, having taken the game before the international break. But it's quite a weird game in terms of the goal splits because we had four goals in 16 minutes with half time sort of sandwiched in between. From 0-0, became 2-0 to Bristol City very quickly. Brilliant strike, goal of the weekend, maybe a goal of the season contender from uh, Taylor Hot, Taylor Gardner-Hickman. Brilliant strike. The way it comes off the crossbar and posts, that sort of angle, incredibly satisfying, aesthetically pleasing. They then doubled that lead through uh, Tommy Conway from the penalty spot after Dale Fry had brought down Matty James, which looked the right decision from the angles behind uh, the challenge. And you were a bit like, oh, okay. Interesting. Two goals just before half-time. That, that'll be interesting. How are Middlesbrough going to respond? And I recall actually Middlesbrough being 2-0 down in this same fixture last season towards the back end of the season. And they came back for a point. And once again, two goals very quickly. I have to say, I absolutely love comical own goals. They are probably my favourite thing in football. Um, whenever there's a funny own goal, me and my dad text each other immediately to, to tell the other because it's something we both really enjoy. And Zach Viner was... <laughs> Fantastic. For those that haven't seen the word. word. It was different. It was. So for those that haven't seen it, it's shot cannons off the crossbar. O'Leary 's dived to try and save it. And Viner tries to cushion the header back to him and heads it into the back of his own net with the goalkeeper still on the floor from the initial shot. So that was fantastic and got them back into it. And then two literally about 60 seconds later. Um, they give the ball away again. great pressing from Sam Greenwood, who we've obviously waxed lyrical about in the last couple of weeks. really clinical f- finish from Matt crooks who didn't really get much of a sniff in the Middlesbrough team last year under Carrick. He, he was obviously playing second fiddle to Tubarak Palm, but he's playing with a lot of confidence. he started you know it must be sort of 10 games in a row now in that number 10 position. really good finish. he can score goals as we saw last season playing up front, but I, I think he's better playing off the front man personally. And at 2-all, you were. Look, it was interesting because obviously we'd seen four goals in 16 minutes, didn't really know which way the game was going to go. Two teams wanting to attack. And then the I think Borough will be disappointed with the goal that eventually was the winning goal. I don't think Senny Dien covers himself in glory from the initial corner, sort of gets lost in no-man's land a little bit. It gets headed, to the, uh, headed across and then at the back post is Mark Sykes from a very tight angle to volley in the winner for Bristol City. So Liam Manning will be delighted to get um that first win is, is Robin's boss, considering they've had the international break to work on some of the bits that he will be most pleased about. And um, yeah, good win for Bristol City and and it just a, a pretty bonkers game all in all.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think starting with Liam Manning's start, four points from the first two games, the first game being QPR away. Yes, QPR have got an absolutely horrendous home record, but that was... Marty if you enters his first home game, not the easiest challenge when a new team's got a manager of their first home game. And then up against a Middlesbrough team that obviously been flying prior to the international break, beating Leicester in that last game. And he's taken four points out of six. It's a really encouraging start, to be fair. Um, the game, though, it, was, it ebbed and flowed. Obviously, Bristol City going to and look, Borough coming back. Then Mark Sikes popping up with the winner, the own goal that you mentioned, hilarious. No, never <laughs> seen anything like that. That was one of the best I've seen. That was just I, what Zach Viner was trying that. to attempt. I really don't know, but that's a story for another day. But I think Bristol City, on the balance of it overall, probably did deserve to edge it. Obviously, winning three two with the game, the way the game went, you just want to get out of there and get the job done in the end, and that's exactly what they did. So. Borough, they'll be kicking themselves having got back to two from two nil to two two. They would have felt the, the 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 ascendancy. They were in the ascendancy. They'd got sort of the the wind in the sails, and they were the ones looking for the winner to complete a remarkable comeback. But obviously, Bristol City just found that way. Senideng, like you said, could he have done better for that third goal? It, it's certainly comes and stops, and it just, he does can he kind of a bit. stalls midway through the move, doesn't he? Almost, but. I think you've got to credit Mark Sykes, though, because he's it's, it's a tight angle. It's yes, a yes. really good finish. He he took that really, really well. And I actually looked at some statistics earlier on, actually, that um, Bristol City, I think, they've never lost a championship game that Mark Sykes has scored in. So he is seemingly a, a bit of a lucky charm for them. So a good win for Liam Manning. It's Obviously, it's important to win your first home game, especially against a team that obviously got ambitions of going for the playoffs this season. And it's just a case of Bristol City slowly and steadily Creeping along now, as you like, I've mentioned four points from a possible six from his first two at the helm. The home form seems to be improving gradually as well this season. That's one thing that does seem to be on the up. And you look at what they've done so far this season in terms of their home record. I'm just um, just loading it up now. I'm not very well prepared for this bit. You will have to bear with me. I'm just loading up the uh, championship home and away table. One of my best friends for our for our stats for the the podcast Twitter page. Night won't load typically. <laughs> but no, there's certainly been improvements in Bristol City's home record. Obviously, beat Sheffield Wednesday not long ago. Uh, they beat Coventry as well. And obviously, got the win at the, at the weekend. So, there's certainly improvements being made there. It's four wins from the first nine at home this season. Three defeats in there. It, it's steady. It's nothing blistering. But it certainly feels like a step in the right direction because it was one of their downfalls last year. So, if Liam Manning can maintain that and turn in Ashton Gate into a bit of a fortress again, then who knows what, what Bristol City could achieve. I'm not saying they're going to go in at top six this year because I think there's far better teams equipped than them. And let's be fair, Bristol City at the start of the season was one of the most dubious predictions that I made in, in our 1-24s. to I think I put them down in 20th, which typically gained a lot of abuse, to be fair. But there we go. But you look at their games this week, Southampton away midweek. That's a big, big test for Bristol City and Liam Manning, his hardest game on paper yet and then Norwich at home next Sunday lunchtime, which will be an interesting one, because Norwich, as we've seen recently, can be very hit and miss. You never really know what you're going to get from them. So we'll see how Bristol City develop, but a good start for Liam Manning nonetheless. Four points out of six. is solid, it's steady, and I think, to be honest with you, I think if you'd have offered him that a couple of weeks ago, he'd have very much taken it.
0: Plymouth Argyle, one win in eight going into the weekend, but they beat Sunderland 2-0, and they deserved all three points at home park. It really helps when you've got someone who's very good at football, like Morgan Whitaker, because he can just kick it in the goal from quite far out, and it always helps, doesn't it? In all seriousness, he it probably with him and Barley Mumba, particularly probably Whitaker this season. He's got the sort of individual quality with the goals we've seen. You know, the one at Ipswich immediately springs to mind. Teams at the bottom don't generally have those type of players, do they? So having Whitaker, whether it's when, you know, when games are tight at 0-0, particularly, the, we know statistically the first goal in every championship game is so important. So if you've got a player with that quality that can help get his noses in front, that always is a big help. Um, so for him to hit the strike that he did into the top corner, it's a fantastic strike. Of course it is. That gets them off to a great start. Finazaz then makes it two before the break. Sunderland, they had plenty of time to sort of get themselves back in the game, but they they didn't really respond. They had 67% of possession in the end. They had 24 shots on goal, but only five on target. So they, they just didn't quite have that cutting edge. They didn't have that spark in the final third to try and work their way back in. Quite a bizarre statistic with Plymouth. Their last six games, they've kept a clean sheet, a clean sheet, conceded three, conceded three, conceded twice, clean sheet, so, they're a bit all or nothing defensively this season, Plymouth. Um, all three of those, uh, two of those clean sheets coming at home, one coming, I think it was the, away at West Brom, a 0 0 draw. So, they're a little bit up and down defensively, and they're going to lose games. They're going to go on runs like one winning eight. We said this preseason, this is what we expected from Plymouth Argyle. But if you've got a player of the quality of Morgan Whittaker, it can be a massive, massive help and a differentiator particularly when they're at home park and they're going to have more of the ball. For him to be able to produce moments of quality like that, that is what's going to, in my opinion, that is what's going to keep them up and going to be the the big difference between the other teams at the bottom because you know QPR, Chair can do it in moments, but we've not seen a great deal in 2023. Sheffield Wednesday don't have that sort of player. Huddersfield don't have that sort of player. Um, Rotherham don't have that sort of player. So, for Ipswich to have Morgan Whitaker... Being able to do what he can do and some of the goals we've seen this season,
1: I think that is the big difference, which is what will keep them up this season. Well, if reports are to be believed and they are correct that Plymouth signed Morgan Whitaker for a million pounds in the summer transfer window, then it's looking like one of the best what one million pound spends we've seen in the Championship in recent years. This kid is absolutely fabulous. It must be said. I'm I'm loving what I'm seeing from him. And again, it just beggars belief that Swansea let him go. And it's the same really with Norwich and Bali Mumba that they let him go. But Morgan Whitaker, he just, he's on another level, isn't he? He is absolutely superb. And I don't mean this with an ounce of disrespect to Plymouth because a lot of people who have listened to this podcast throughout the season have will have picked up on just how much admiration and praise I've had for Stephen Schumacher's team. I put them in 14th at the start of the season. I never even considered them for relegation. But Morgan Whitaker really... With the, the quality he's displaying at the moment should be playing for a team with higher expectations, shall we say? And again, I don't mean that with any disrespect to Plymouth. He wouldn't look out of place in a team like one of your West Bromwich Albions, one of your, Midd- so one of your uh, Middlesbrough, Southampton. He would not look out of place in a team like that. He's been absolutely marvellous, and the quality of his goals as well—they're just absolutely ridiculous. He's scored more goals from outside the penalty area than any other player in England's top four divisions this season. He's got more goal contributions than any other summer signing in the Premier League and the Championship this season. He's just absolutely on another level. And there's a lot of talk about Morgan Whittaker uh, and his quality, but I think you've got to look around the rest of this Plymouth team as well in terms of their summer recruitment. Lewis Gibson's been really, really key at the back. He He's really come on strong. Finna was getting more goals, seeing more goals out of him. In the last few weeks, Luke Cundall with a couple of assists at the weekend as well. So it is starting to show that Plymouth did recruit really, really well. And the the biggest question for Plymouth in the summer, as well as they recruited, was the fact that they didn't really bring in a a statement number nine to lead the line. Ryan Hardy's done reasonably well so far, been chipping away. But when you've got someone like Whittaker, who's the, the chief architect of that team, you're going to have a chance of winning games. And obviously he was at the heart of what Plymouth achieved at the weekend. But again, it goes back to the point, doesn't it, of just how good is this Plymouth team at home park? It is a real fortress. And something that went out on our our Twitter page on Sunday was looking at Plymouth's home form, taking 44 points out of 60 at home this calendar year, obviously, including league one and the championship. We've only lost three, only lost four home games this year, which is quite something. They've been absolutely terrific. And, you know damn well, whatever team is going to home park, they're going to be in for a game. They pushed Southampton all the way at the start of the season and didn't really deserve to lose that one. So they've given everybody a real fist, really, so far, and a good game. So I think Plymouth will be absolutely fine this season to beat Sunderland, who are generally really good away from home. Mm. They did it really quite comfortably, let's be, let's be fair. They didn't like did a coach sorry. journey, maybe. They probably Maybe played. not. But they probably it played, it? To be honest. Well... It <laughs> More than likely, a blooming long way, that one. But let's be honest, Plymouth, with a player like Morgan Whitaker in your ranks, you've always got a chance of winning a game. And I just think for Stephen Schumacher's side now, if they can just start to evolve away from home and get that first away win on the board and just pick up a point or two here and there, then I don't see any reason why they're going to be dragged into any any danger whatsoever. I think the home form on, on its own should be enough. But I think if they can just get a grip of their away form and start to pick up a win or two here and there... I think they'll be absolutely fine, but another really impressive victory. Obviously, beating Norwich, beating Blackburn at home, beating Sunderland at home. Now, you know that they're beating teams with with decent expectation levels this year. So it's certainly a case of they're not just beating the teams that are at the bottom of the table. They are beating some of the big hitters of this league. So really impressive result, good performance, and for Morgan Whitaker, I mean, what a player! This kid really is on fire at the minute.
0: Wayne Rooney got his first win as Birmingham City boss. They beat Sheffield Wednesday 2-1 in a a really big game at the bottom of the championship. Massive result for Blues. Um, I thought they struggled in the first half and I thought Wednesday did quite a good job at imposing themselves. They took the lead, of course, through George Byers. Fantastic free kick from Josh Windass, who had had a really good chance prior to that as well. Cannoned off the post and there was Byers to turn in from close range. And I thought Wednesday did really well at ratting around Birmingham who were trying to play out from the back. They pressed really well from the front with Malik Wilks. Remember him, his first start um, for for a long time, first start of the season. Him and Windass had plenty of energy up front. But has, as has been the case since Danny Roel came in, and we've spoken many times about how the performances have improved, ultimately they've won one and lost the rest. What is it? One winning six now, five defeats. Not a massive upturn in points totally, it has to be said. They can't string that level of intensity and that level of performance for more than a half. And at Championship level, that's just not good enough to get you points. They were a little bit unfortunate at one look when Janino Pacuna is getting charged down by five players and unleashes an absolute rocket between them all, flying into the back of the net. No chance for Cameron Dawson. And then in the second half, I thought Birmingham did a lot better at playing through the press. Sheffield Wednesday tired, as I said, a little bit. I do think that played into it, but... Bergman grew into the game as well, so credit to them as well. Um, and obviously then for the winner, it's not great defending from Wednesday. Three of the of the defence steps up. Dominic Iortha follows the runner, which I actually think is the right thing to do in that scenario. You know, you're always taught as a youngster, you don't play offside unless there's pressure on the ball. And there wasn't any pressure on the ball as it got played through um, for, was it Jordan James at that point uh, who, who was in? And then obviously he as the first effort saved. And then it's uh, a good finish to go around Cameron Dawson and make it 2-1. So, Birmingham much better in the second half. I thought Sheffield Wednesday had the better of the first. And pretty familiar story with Wednesday, doing better as they have under Danny Real, but not getting any points and not being able to sustain that intensity for 90 minutes. But for Birmingham, really, really pleasing result. Definitely better in the second half and a little bit of individual quality, obviously, from Bakuna got them back into the game.
1: Yeah, and first things first, did I or did I not say that Wayne Rooney would get his first win in this game? It was absolutely nailed on.
0: It wasn't that for... big a
1: bolder statement at home to Bottle. Oh, it, it was nailed on. You just knew it would happen. But it was a very familiar story. And Sheffield Wednesday are developing a little bit of a habit of this under Danny Rearley, the sense that they are very, very good in the first half of games, but they tail off in the second half of matches. A prime example, for, a, for instance, was when they lost 3-0 at Plymouth in Danny Rill's second game in charge. First half they were absolutely outstanding and somehow went into the break 2-0 down. At Birmingham they should have gone into the, the break in front. George Byers scoring right on the stroke of half time. Then Bakuna obviously brings brings Birmingham level with a with a brilliant strike, it must be said, but for Wednesday the same old problems persist because this is the this is the crazy thing. Though they've lost five of the first six under Danny Rill, the performances compared to what they were under Chisco Moonoth, though the results haven't really improved have been considerably better but the problem Danny Rylly's got he's working with a group of players that are simply not good enough for this league that is the that is the ultimate situation at Sheffield Wednesday and it's it is a case of in a sense sort of to use an analogy it's like looking at saying you've brought one builder in who's not done a very good job but you've brought another one in to use the same tools it's just what what can you do, Danny Real? To be fair to him, he he's, his hands are tied with what he's got to work with at the moment. But at the same time, to an extent, you have got to get results, and ultimately, at the moment, that's not quite happening for him and Sheffield Wednesday. But Danny Real certainly an appointment for the for the long term of the future. So hopefully, things will improve there. And Wednesday have got to find a way to do that because they're seventeen games into the season now. They've took six points for a possible fifty one. It's it's a horrendous record. It is so so poor. But for Birmingham, for Wayne Rooney, a big, big win. One that they desperately needed, one that he desperately needed. And I think the thing for Birmingham supporters now is, though they acknowledged at the weekend the performance wasn't particularly sparkling, they've got to use it as a springboard. They've got to use this as a base to build on. Now, it can't just be a flash in the pan. We've beaten the team at the bottom of the league, you know, we we can't just use it as sort of an excuse to think oh we'll win this one but we'll go back to normal next time out. They've got to use it as a platform to build on, and to try and get a consistent run of results. Because at the moment, even though he won at the weekend, Wayne Rooney, the, the decision to sack John Hughes and bring him in is still looking like a terribly poor decision from the Birmingham We're board. To which... stop
0: talking about it, haven't we really? And, and we start probably have, but looking at it it's, it's so in its own isolation, but it it's but it's hard that it. ultimately will sit over him.
1: It is hard to ignore it, but I think the thing for Birmingham now is, you look at their next run of games, they've got Blackburn Rovers away midweek on, on Wednesday night, and then they've got Rotherham United at home on Saturday. Rotherham's away record, we all know about that, how poor it is. Whether Rotherham will have a new manager in the dugout in time for that game, we don't know. That, ser- that search is still ongoing. No, it's not. It, to be fair, it isn't. Yeah, you're quite right with that. Their away form's considerably better, but Birmingham, they're gonna they're gonna be underdogs going into that game against Blackburn, there's no doubt about that. But then you look beyond that, and Birmingham they've got to they've got to play both Leicester, they've got to go to Plymouth before Christmas, they've got to go to Cardiff before Christmas, they've got a bit of a Derby with Coventry as well. So a big, big run of games coming up for Wayne Rooney, and it certainly feels like that this could be a real acid test these next six. There's a different different calibre of opposition in there. The home game in Rotherham to kick December off looks like being the one that's the most fruitful for three points. But, you know, we've seen in the Championship, results can come when you least expect them. So we'll see what happens. But for me, I just fear that it could be more of a flash in the pan than the start of a, a consistent run of form. But time will tell.
0: Let me tell you about Stoke City nil, Blackburn Rovers 3, because it's another win on the road for Blackburn, who have taken 16 points from possible nine, get well, possible 27 on the road this season. They only got 26 points in their 23 games last year. And it's the first time they've won four in a row in the league away from home at second tier level for 22 years. So, pretty good in terms of landmarks for the weekend. It was an interesting game because they scored really early through Scott Wharton, good header, and they'd already had a couple of opportunities before that with Smodics in behind. And then what happened was really weird because it was a proper frantic 15 minutes, very Blackburn Rovers, exactly what you'd expect. And then the arse fell out of the game. Just the entire tempo died, and Rovers just sat in, and went, go on then, Stoke. We don't think you're good enough to break us down. Have a go. And Stoke had 65% of the ball, which is not very Blackburn, but they couldn't break them down. They created very, very little. There was one save from Daniel Johnson that Leopold Walstead had to make, and that was just after they'd scored. But from the 15th minute to the 75th, I'm really struggling for many saves that Walstead had to make and, and Stoke had all the ball and Ben Pearson was just dropping so deep. He was often their you know, their deepest man. They were pushing both centre-backs on and Pearson was just sat as a quarterback as the last man at times. And But this created so little. They didn't have any creativity. They didn't have any players that could cause issues 1v1. And Blackburn just sat in and were quite happy to. And then in the end, the home fans got frustrated and then it's an individual mistake from Jack Bonham who spills Jake Garrett's shot, and, and Andy Moran makes it too. Great week for him. He's really coming to the fore as well in terms of goals and assists for Rovers. Um, got two at Norwich recently. Uh, recently got two assists, uh, got an assist and a goal at the weekend as well. Got his Republic of Ireland debut uh, in the week as well for the senior team. He's on loan from Brighton. He's only a teenager. Really, really exciting prospect playing either off the left or, or in central areas. And it was game over, obviously, from that point. And, and by the time Sam Smoddick races through and goes around Jack Bonham for his customary goal and his 11th of the season, there was more Blackburn Rovers fans in the, in the stadium than Stoke at that point. Um, and that made it 3-0. So it was a deserved win for Blackburn, but a different win to what we've seen from them this season. They showed different sides of their game, different qualities that I didn't necessarily know they had or they hadn't demonstrated. And... Stoke just didn't have the quality to break them down. Stoke are a team that brought 19 players in the summer and on that performance I kind of think they need 19 more. They're just really uninspiring and if I was really beige, really bland that performance from Stoke, but they sort of did alright to a point but just couldn't break Rovers down and Blackburn were clinical on the break and is it fully deserved their win, but it was a, as I say it was a different type of performance from Rovers which we've not seen this season.
1: Yeah, I mean you you obviously filled me in about the game on Saturday evening when we had a little chat as we often do on a Saturday night reviewing the games that we've seen and whatnot and I watched the highlights as well and it did feel like there was a different sort of style to Blackburn that day obviously a couple of goals sort of counter-attack in play and yeah I watched it and I thought this isn't the sort of usual approach we see from a Yondal thomason team it was a little bit different a little bit unfamiliar to what we've seen in the past and it was a case of seeing what else this team can do because we've both waxed lyrical about Blackburn in in the last few months, last season, this season, and they are they are still a very, very young team. Yondal Thomason said in his interview with, with ITV on Saturday evening that this team is still young, it's inexperienced, still learning, mistakes are gonna happen. But overall, they're a team that for the best part of twelve months now have been in and around the playoff picture, consistently there, consistently knocking on the door. So they are a team you've got to take seriously and look at and think, could they this year sneak into that top six? Obviously, they were oh so close last season. But now it feels like they're a hell of a lot better this year because you, you're getting more in terms of... It feels like you're getting more of an attacking output out of them. I've not, I've not compared their goals tally at this point last season compared to this, but it feels it's like... They're spreading the goals around a lot more this they season. They are. They are. Obviously, Smodics is the headline
0: one with 11 goals, but they, they have spread the goals around better than they did last season.
1: Yeah, certainly. And Scott Wharton scoring at the weekend pr- provides proof to that. Moran getting his first goal. And I just think yondal Thomason is a manager that's getting a hell of a lot out of a very good, exciting group of players. And you've mentioned there, obviously, Smonics is the headline act, but there's other players in this team that certainly in spells are very exciting to watch. Tyree Stolen, for instance, is a player that I remain a big fan of. I do like what I've seen of him in the last few years. But again, I think you look at Blackburn and you think young team, inexperienced, it's only a matter of time before they possibly fall away. But like I said, they've been in and around the top six now consistently for for, for 12 months. The whole of Yondel Thomason's reign, if you like, really. And they do look like a team that this season could bridge that gap. You look at their fixtures this week. Uh, midweek, Birmingham at home, as we've as we've just discussed. Then Saturday, they've got Sheffield Wednesday away. This is two games where they really could... Get six points on the board if they can get. They can need in the to because after
0: that it's Leeds and Southampton.
1: Yeah, and that that's really tough. That that is two of the the hardest opponents you could wish for back to back. So it does sort of say where Blackburn what they need to do this this week. But if they can end this week with nine points from nine, beaten Stoke, Birmingham, and Wednesday to come, I think that's a really good marker that they can lay down and send out a message. But I think on the flip side for Stoke City just as it felt like they were turning a corner with that little bit of a run that they put together prior to the international break. This has brought it crashing back down again. You said, obviously, that the approach that they had was a little bit bit odd and a bit uninspiring. Struggle to get in behind the Rovers' defence. So it does, again, question what sort of plan Alex Neal is attempted to embed. Because when you've gone from the highs of winning away at Middlesbrough performing so well... They were so five well, unbeaten
0: and they'd not conceded
1: in four going into this, this so they the were thing. in good form. They were. They, just, they were they just... Were
0: just a bit easy to play against. A bit predictable, a bit bland. And you just thought, for all the... Not necessarily money, but all the players that came in the summer, they didn't really have any game-changers or anyone anyone that could get the fans off their seats a little bit.
1: Out of all the signings they brought in in the summer, there's only really Andre Vidigal that you would consider as an unused substitute at the weekend. As a flair player, isn't he? He's the only one that you'd look at and think, he's the man that's going to create something out of nothing. So... Yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see where Stoke go from here, but interesting crop Weekend, that's a really, really tough one. And then Sheffield Wednesday at home and Swansea at home in back-to-back home games in early December. So yeah, I think feel, it feels like that the next two could be could be ones that go either way for Stoke in the sense QPR really, really poor at home, but obviously I'm still looking to get that first one of the sifientes they're going to be fired up for it. And then Plymouth obviously a really, really difficult place to go at the weekend. So I look at it and I do genuinely think Stoke have got to find a way to sort of turn up the heat, though that sounds mad, having just gone on a really decent a little unbeaten run. But again, it's probably just a sense of a lack of goals that have been the problem for Stoke. Where do the goals come from? Who's going to is provide like the Gale's still the playing up power?
0: Which he is, is he's he's just if, if we're not they're not moved on has, from that yet?
1: It's funnily enough, because I actually read some comments on Dwight Gale only, I don't know, two or three days before the weekend. And it was a Stoke fan. He was saying that though his goals record for us hasn't been great, he's a really key player in, a, in, our, uh, in our attacking play. But, mm. you know, strikers are judged on the goals and he's just not bringing them at the moment. So they've got to find something from somewhere. But as the picture currently looks, 16th place. But at the end of the day, they're 11 points clear at the bottom three. There are far worse teams than Stoke, but the Stoke fans quite rightly want to see a hell of a lot more.
0: Yeah, I think so. Coventry, have we finally seen the game and the result that could kickstart their season? 3-0 no win at Millwall. Stayed 4-3-3, so that looks like it's here to stay for a little bit. But they look far more better with Sacramento on the right, Hadji Wright on the left, far more... Um, Square pegs in square holes, albeit Hadji right still slightly out of position. Better than playing Sims out there, I certainly think, personally. A little bit of luck with the first goal, uh, with right shot saved by Bielkowski and then falling to Matt Godden and heading in from close range. But a poacher's effort, and it was Sacramento who got the second as well, uh, poaching in the six-yard box, getting there before the defender and slotting in, before Ben Sheaf turned in from a corner. To make it free, it's the first time that Coventry have won by more than a one-goal margin since the 12th of August against Middlesbrough. So that is shows how you know inconsistent they've been, but also even the wins have been quite scrappy, quite narrow. And you just, it's just not clicked for Coventry with the new signings. They've not found a way to get them in, but this was just a bit more like it. You know, they have Van Emwick at, at right wing, at right back, who. Is the more attacking option compared to like uh who played their last last game. Jake Bidwell at left back is probably a slightly more conservative option than Jada Silva, but has got quality going forward. And we saw that with the first goal where he skips past a couple of players. So, you know, I'd like to see Van at, at right at right back. And I think if that means you have to go for Bidwell over Jada Silva to get that balance, I'm all right with that. Um, Bobby Thomas and Liam Kitchen fine at centre back. They've got the players to play a three-man midfield. They obviously did that all last season. And it's just find the right combinations in attack to to get that front three working. Because as we said, they've not really got the wide forward type, but maybe Hadji Wright and Sacramento can do that. Does Callum O'Hare play off the left? Does he play in the midfield three? Same with Casey Palmer. So they've got a few things to work out in this system, if that's the way they're going to go. But I thought this was a bit more like it. And I'm hoping this can be the kickstart for Coventry season because... It's just not worked out since the summer for them. It's been two steps forward, three steps back. So this, hopefully Mark Robinson will be fingers crossed that this is the result that, that really is the springboard for their season to go on a bit of a run and get themselves up the table, which they did do last season because they started incredibly slow then given the problems they had with the home stadium last season and then went on that great run and got themselves obviously in the playoffs. So we can't rule it out, but 17 games have been quite uninspiring. This might be the the start of something.
1: Maybe so. Is it the point a season springs into life? It's a really impressive away win, to be fair, because you think back, Millwall in their first first game under Joe Edwards got such a terrific result away from home, albeit against bottom of the table Sheffield Wednesday winning 4-0 prior to the international break. But following that, you'd have thought Millwall had been, you know, sort of fired up for this one. I mean, had two full weeks on the training ground with their new manager, first home game of his tenure. And it would be a really big test for Coventry, but they passed it with flying colours, 3-0, Three three good goals, crafted goals. And I think when you look at Coventry's matchday squad at the weekend, you you realise when that team is, is as injury-free as it can be, there's a hell of a lot of quality and a hell of a lot of strength and depth in that team that Mark Robbins has assembled. There, you look at the bench at the weekend and just some of the names on it, Callum O'Hare, Karl McFadden, Silver, Silva, Latabodier, Ellis Sims, even Ben Wilson, the goalkeeper as well. There's a lot of quality within their ranks when they've got a fit squad. So maybe, just maybe, this is the point where Coventry's fortunes change. And you make a valid point about the fact that they started slowly last season, and then gradually turned the heat up. Obviously, a big difference this season. They've not got Gustavo Harmer. They've not got Victor Jocker as two players that were so influential and so, so good last season. But we are slowly, uh, and I say slowly, starting to see. This team evolve and become accustomed to to the new signings they brought in in the summer. Hadji you right has slowly been getting better, slowly been getting in the goals. Got a couple at Coventry uh, again for Coventry against Preston, I should say, not long ago. Godden's been chipping in reasonably well so far this season. Sakamoto with a goal the down
0: the middle. If they're gonna play, one. he does.
1: Yeah, Matt Godden seems to have. Because you thought after the summer with Wright and Sims coming in, that was sort of going to spell the end for yeah, his chances.
0: Derby of as well. He's playing it.
1: regularly, but the thing is with Matt Godden, though he's not the most sort of luxurious player that you look at and think he is a top top player. He's always there or thereabouts with ten goals a season. The goal scoring records speaks for itself. It does, and like like most strikers who have been around the block for a long time in terms of consistently being at clubs for a long time, you're going to be kept hold of if you score goals at a decent rate and that's what Mm -hmm. Matt Godden does, so credit to him. But you look at that that midfield at the weekend, Jamie Allen, Ben Sheaf, Josh Eccles, nice blend to it. Callum Mm -hmm. O'Hare waiting in reserve to come in, possibly maybe form a little number 10 in that midfield three, pushing a little bit higher, possibly play wide like you said. Van Eywick at right back, Bidwell on the left, Solid shouts, solid players to play in those positions. So it does feel like Mark Robbins now has, having obviously had to battle a fair amount of injuries and problems, has now got his squad in a position where he can look at it and think, right, I've got good options to play with here. I can go into a game knowing that if everyone's fit, I'm going to have a strong match day squad, a strong pool of 20 players, and we've got options on the bench to change things if we need to. So, a really good win. Millwall, obviously, they've not been at their best this season so far. The Den still remains one of those really difficult places to go on the Championship circuit. It's one well, of those... Well,
0: you say that. If we look at the record this season... I know, I know uh, what you uh, uh, mean. Only, oh, the Sheffield won, isn't the good. have got a worse home record than Millwall. It takes, is. It's, seven, it's just uh, always
1: seven points. It's always renowned, isn't it, as one of those tricky places to visit with the, the alleged no. atmosphere. Not, yeah. Not this season. But I think for Coventry now is a case of, can they build on this? I'm looking at the next six fixtures now and I have to admit, this is quite a difficult crop of games they've got coming up. This is a real big test for Mark Robbins. But we're talking about a team here who got to the playoff final last season. They they, they lost a place in the Premier League on penalties. Yeah, they've lost two, their two best players. They're not as good so far this season as they were last year. But we can't talk about them as though they're a team that's sort of terrible, if you like, and got no quality because they've got a hell of a lot of quality in their ranks and they will be capable of matching these teams up best they can. But you look at their next six and it's as follows, starting tomorrow night, Tuesday night, Plymouth at home, Ipswich away, Birmingham at home, Southampton at home, Leeds away, Sunderland away. That's a really difficult run of games coming up for Coventry. And the fact that, you know, three of them away from home, two of them against the current top three. that That's a really big task. But when you think back to the beginning of the season, the opening day of the season, Coventry went to Leicester and they played really, really well that day. They didn't deserve to lose that game. They performed admirably well. So they'll take comfort from that. They've improved since then in terms of the balance of the squad, brought new, m- more players in since that game. So let's see what happens. But hopefully this is going to be a turning point because regular listeners of this know just how... Much praise me and you have poured on Coventry in the last few seasons, certainly last year, certainly in the last 12 months, if you like. And I would really like to see them kick on because you know just how much of a soft spot I developed for Coventry last season. So hopefully that this is a turning point for them. But uh, the next six games, as I say, not 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 an easy crop of fixtures on the horizon. But this Coventry team, when you break it down, there are some very good players in this team and they shouldn't fear any of these guys because they are in their own right a good side. Quite a lot to unpack from Preston North End
0: 1, Cardiff City 2. Um, I think Preston will probably fairly feel Collins should have been sent off for the head-to-head with Ched Evans. Kind of thrust his head a little bit, but I think if you're Preston, you can feel pretty aggrieved that he wasn't sent off. But there's not loads in it equally at the same moment. You're particularly annoyed because Robbie Brady gets booked for his role and his part in the in the skirmish. Um, which turned out to be obviously crucial. I found the Osmaich goal really weird because it's obviously a bad pass into McGuinness. He gets robbed by Osmaich and the goalkeeper has completely lost his bearings by the time the ball gets struck because he's, he's just left a massive gap to his far side because he's obviously out of his goal to offer a pass for McGuinness to you know to build possession, which is fair enough, but completely loses his bearings, Alnick, on where he should be. And it's quite an easy finish for Osmayichu. They scored all his goals at Deepdale, interestingly. Um, and then four minutes later, obviously, they go down to 10 men because Robbie Brady gets sent off. It's a daft, cynical pullback when you're on a booking. And for a player of his experience, I'd be a little bit disappointed if I was Ryan Lowe because it's not a challenge he had to make. And he knows he's getting sent off if he makes it. So I don't really have much sympathy for that. That said to capitulate and concede, you know, you're in the 95th minute, 1-0 up and you end up losing the game. If You were, a little, you could say the Colin Grant goal was a little bit unlucky with the way it sort of strikes in off the post and hits it a little bit unorthodox. But they completely then switched off to leave Ugbo so unmarked in the centre of the penalty area in the 99th minute. You're asking for trouble. It's a great header for 2-1 and a fantastic away day for those Cardiff fans that made the journey. So I kind of feel that Preston can... Be a little bit aggrieved at the red card that wasn't. I don't think they could have any complaints about Robbie Brady other than with their own player. And then, yeah, the, the equaliser is a little bit unlucky. And, and But but to then completely fall apart in the way that they did for the second goal is completely unmarked in the penalty area. You, you, you can't really justify or excuse that. So I think they didn't help themselves as well as they'll probably feel that the officiating didn't help them either.
1: No, definitely not, but this is certainly a prime example of why you should never, ever leave a game early, isn't it? I mean, I can't begin to imagine when it must have been like in that away and for the Cardiff fans that had made the trip. we well,
0: absolutely- I've, I've just going to have to leave, lads, because we've got to get this last train. It's 90th minute anyway, 1-0 <laughs> down.
1: Yeah, not going to miss anything. Check your phone. 10 minutes later, you're like, shit, shouldn't have done that. But no, I mean, what an ending. That, that, was, that was just one of the maddest things that I think I've seen in the Championship for quite a few years, an ending like that, but First things first, I just want to say, what a cross, and then what a header from Ugbo for the winner that The way he steered that header it, it. just looked so aesthetically pleasing on on the video. It was just such the way he guided it, and the way Freddie Woodman died for it was you know it was almost like the ball was past him before he'd had a chance to react. It was such a brilliant header, but no for for Cardiff, that'll go down as one of those moments potentially come the end of the season when they look back and think. Goodness me, that was a defining five minutes, depending on how their season plays out. And it could be the same for Preston as well, depending on how their season unfolds. I think, like you said, Ryan Lowe can have no complaints with the red card. Roy Brady, he knew exactly what he was doing. He's experienced enough to know to avoid that. Preston had got covering bodies back. There was a lot of work still for Cardiff to do to get the ball up the pitch into a good forward area. So he'll he'll be annoyed with Robbie Brady, I'm sure. I'm sure he will have had some harsh words with him in the dressing room after the game. But at the end of the day, for Preston, though they had 10 men, you've still got to try and see it out when you've withstood sort of half an hour, 35 minutes of pressure in the way they did to to concede twice so late on. It's the second one, isn't it? He's going to be a real sucker puncher. And the thing is, people obviously talk about matters like this, but as human beings, when you suffer a setback like that, it's bound to dent confidence a little bit, I'm sure. I'm sure then Preston players will have trudged off that pitch on Saturday and gone home Saturday evening, and thought to ourselves, "Yeah, we've really, really let this one go, and we've got to try and find a way to bounce back as quickly as possible." Because if they'd have won that game, it would have just tightened their grip on a top six spot that a little bit more. They'd have been level on points with Southampton. To point, so close though, to well, it. You know, it is, it is. Yeah, a point wouldn't have been the worst with obviously with ten men, but to concede it so late on would have still been frustrating. But to then concede it again is a real kick in the knackers. Let's be honest. So they've they've got to find a way, haven't they, Preston, to respond from this? I do think it is potentially a a confidence denting moment. We we shall see. Of course, this midweek they've got a chance to get back on track. And really, when you concede two late goals like that, probably the thing that you need most is a game straight away to put it right. Probably the last thing Preston wanted, though, was a trip to Middlesbrough. Obviously, very, very good at home under Michael Carrick. And that's what they've got on Tuesday evening. Then they've got QPR at home on Friday night. Uh, game on game on the TV under the lights, which could be quite interesting. You'd expect Preston to win that one. They'll be favourites for it. And then, obviously, they've got um, back-to-back away games against Norwich and, and then Huddersfield. So, you look at Preston's next run of games and with what they've done so far this season. You certainly wouldn't bet it against them to get a good crop of results from these next four but so easily it could go the other way, as we as we saw at the weekend, when nothing can be ruled out. So, yeah, it's one of those games where it's a bit of a freak scenario. It happens, doesn't happen very often, but it can happen. It's just about how Preston responds to that setback. A disappointing one, but, you know, it happens. But for Cardiff, uh, a huge three points. But by the, by the sounds of it, from what I've read, Cardiff were, on the balance of play, pretty awful for the most part. So they probably uh, got away with one, but... Big three points for Errol Bullitt and his side, obviously, still in a good position. Seventh in the table ahead of midweek.
0: And then finally, Norwich City won QPR nil. Back-to-back back wins for Daniel, uh, for the Canaries, and David Wagner, much-needed clean sheet. They had Ashley Barnes back in the starting line- lineup after, a, you know, what, a couple of months out from injury. He played playing just behind Juan Guzhou, who finished well for 1-0, which turned out to be the decisive goal um QPR plenty of the ball and a decent penalty shout when Danny Bart brought down Dixon Bonner but another blank for Marty Sifuentes who's not had the greatest of starts points wise uh you know a couple of draws and, and a defeat in his opening three games so we've seen what he wants to try and do he wants his QPR side to try and dominate the ball they've not quite had the incision to open up the opposition and have scored one goal in three games which of course was a, an absolute screamer from Ilias chair, so not quite seeing the the cutting edge in open play. They're obviously quite entrenched in, entrenched in the bottom three at this point as well. Norwich, maybe, maybe, maybe David Wagner's coming back from the brink. Who knows? But yeah, it's um, this is an important result for for Norwich, clean sheet as well. Will do their confidence world of good, but more of the same from QPR.
1: Yeah, it does seem that way, doesn't it? But by the most part, what I've read from QPR fans, the style of football, it's a bit like Sheffield Wednesday, really. The style is improving gradually, but the results just aren't there to match. And I suppose it is a case with, for Marta Sifientes, he's working with the the same tools that Gareth Ainsworth left him with. So, you know, there are limitations on what a manager can do, because I'm sure if, say, I don't know, Man City traded squads with, with Fulham, for example, I'm sure you'd see a decline in Man City, even though Pep Guardiola would still be there sort of thing. You you can only work with what you've got. And ultimately for QPR, they've not got a team at the moment blessed with talent. So I think it is going to be a case of can they get a result here and there and get to January and try and implement a few changes. Let Marte Sifientes bring his own players in. But the style of play, the football on show, according to the QPR fans, has certainly been a little bit better. So that's certainly a positive and a crumb of comfort they can cling on to. And though obviously Sifientes didn't win either of his first two, it's important to outline that this was his first defeat. So he's only lost one of those first first three games. So it's not the worst start. Obviously no wins in there doesn't exactly inspire much confidence, but he certainly stopped the rot in terms of the, the consistent losing streak. But for Norwich, does it feel like they've turned a corner? Maybe. They staged that dramatic comeback against Cardiff prior to the international break to win that game 3-2. Obviously got the win at the weekend, slender 1-0 win, but it found a way to get the job done. And it's just just probably settled things that little bit at Carrow Road. Obviously, there was a hell of a lot of pressure growing on David Wagner after that defeat to Blackburn Rovers not long ago. But he's responded with a couple of wins. Uh, and you know it would be easy to say when you look at the QPR results, sort of say, yeah, he was expected to this, expected to win this win, which he will have been. But when you look at the Cardiff game, Cardiff have been very, very good at home so far this season. That was an impressive away win. So you've got to sort of be, you've got to give praise where where it's due. And well, they said the new director of football,
0: Ben Napper, who's obviously his start date has been brought forward. He can't make a decision ultimately until he sees what the.
1: Yeah, what is what, uh,
0: what the situation is. So he's gonna get a bit of an extended uh you know, a stay of execution, for want of a better word, to, to to have a look at what whether this is salvageable. So a couple of you know, a couple of wins gets him off to a good start.
1: Yeah, and and as well as that, you know, you look at how how tight the table is at this moment in time. Norwich are currently thirteenth on twenty-three points. They're only a couple of. Yeah, it doesn't behind- take a lot, does it, to get yourself. Back it doesn't. Off, it doesn't. Respect. They're only, you know, they're only six points off the playoff places, which obviously there's a hell of a lot of traffic between themselves and that position at the moment. But if they have a good, good rest of the week, you know, playing midweek and then again at the weekend, if they get another six points on the board, say, then you know they're in a really healthy position heading into December. And you, you you've got to say that David Wagner, though he's had a bit of a sticky patch in recent weeks. He is still a really, really good manager. This is the thing. He has got a promotion out of this division, let's not forget. He had a good start when he came in last season. I remember they won them first two away games, scoring four at Preston, scored four at Coventry. They they, they did go on a little bit of a good run under him. and Obviously, there was a bit, really a bit of too much damage had already been done before he came in, if you like. So, I think there is a good manager in there. But you look at Norwich's next four games, two are away, two are at home. I've I've got to be truthful and say that on paper their next run of games look good like good prospects for points. They've got Watford away and Bristol City away this week, then back to back home games against Preston and Sheffield Wednesday. So you know it's not the not the worst run in the world. And then they've got Huddersfield, the other side of a little trip to Portman Road on the sixteenth of December, which could be rather tasty. So I think when you look at these next six games. I think this is the period that could possibly make or break David Wagner, to be quite honest. Because there are games in this upcoming run where you look at and you think, if Norwich perform at their best, they can get some good good points out of this. Where on the flip side, if they're not at it, they could easily be sucked sucked up and you know beaten and picked off. So, I think this is the period where Norwich will have to evaluate and have to look at what David Wagner can do, both short-term and long-term. But, Like I said previously, that Cardiff result, was it a flash in the pan? A win over QPR, Slender 1-0 at home against a team, obviously, are really, really poor at the minute. Can't score. Is it just a little bit of way of sort of just glossing on that win at Cardiff or a significant build on it? I would say it's the latter, the, the former at the minute. So we'll see. I think this week will give us a better idea. Watford away, Bristol City away then at the weekend. And, uh, you know, we'll 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 chat more about Norwich, I'm sure, next next Sunday when we record the next episode. Yeah, there was three draws as well in the Championship this
0: weekend. Swansea 2, Hull City 2, probably the most eye-catching with a two-goal fight back from Hull City. I thought Ryan Alsop should have done better for both goals. The Jamie Patterson one at the near post and then the shot from range, which he spills and, and Jerry Yates gobbles up for 2-0. Hull made a couple of changes at half-time. Jayden Philogene battering one into the top corner for 2-1 and then a really deft finish from Tyler Morton for 2-2. He's getting a lot of really good reviews, Tyler Morton, from Hull City fans after quite an inconsistent first loan with Blackburn, made his debut for England under-21s in the week as well and scored. So he's one to keep an eye on over the next
1: few weeks. I'm just, just going to say as well, if you've not seen it while we've been recording this episode, have you seen that Swansea have actually strengthened their attacking options? I have not. They have. They've they've brought in a blast. Oh, I know.
0: Team. Yeah, sorry. It's Balassi, of course. I Yannick we...
1: Balassi. Yeah, back read, in the championship. I read, I read
0: that. Michael Duff said something pre-match about that.
1: Bit of an interesting one, that I think. Thirty-four years now. Mm, interesting. Not sure
0: still... still quite have the uh, pace and power well, that he wants to have.
1: Stranger things have happened, shall we say? You never know.
0: Rotherham United won. Leeds United won was an entertaining Yorkshire affair on Friday night, and a good point for Wayne Carlisle, who is still in charge of Rotherham because uh, Tony Stewart's yet to make an appointment. Liam Richardson, currently the favourite for that. Leeds came flying out the traps, scored the exact goal you'd expect when you see Crescencio Somerville on the score sheet. Um, and they could have really killed the game off. It was a complete m- mismatch between Peltier and Somerville down that. Leeds left, that Rotherham United right, but they didn't kill the game off. And then Adoffin makes it one-all with quite an opportunity strike. And then Rotherham were good value in the second half, I thought. They had the best chance through Sam Nombe, which was cleared off the line by Cooper. And a brilliant spot by the linesman to correctly rule Patrick Bamford offside in the build-up to what looked like a Jaden Anthony 90th-minute winner. So, great point for Rotherham. Leeds a bit of frustration, but didn't take the chances, ultimately. And then finally, Huddersfield won, at Southampton won. Better performance from town, but they were a little bit fortunate with the goal, which obviously is a Ben Jackson cross that goes all the way in. They could have easily crumbled, though, because Adam Armstrong scores in the first half and there's plenty of time for Southampton to take the game away from them in that period. So, given the recent run of results for Darren Moore, a much more positive result. And that marks the end of this week's Championship Chat podcast. Please make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts and you'll get the latest episode from us every single week. Make sure you're following us on Twitter as well at champchatpod24 for all the latest championship news. And a huge thank you again to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for their support this season. If you're looking to take car payments with no contract or monthly fees, make sure you check them out at cardsaccepted.co.uk. Thank you for listening and we'll be back again next week for another episode of the Championship Chat podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier.